Well, hello, friends. It is midweek. We are between two Sundays, and I am with Mark Beresford as we launch into our normal midweek conversation, verbal, whatever, uh, about the readings that we've had either side of the Wednesday that we're in. Hi. What a great place for us to be. It's a good place to be. Couldn't be better. Uh, And like, seriously, man, um, if you've been following the show for a little while, uh, you'll know that our deal is is that we think about the readings that are on either side of this day, the Sunday from where we've just come, in which we discuss about how we've lived out of the uh, readings from there. And we start to look ahead at the Sunday that's coming up and start to think about how we might embrace those readings as we approach Sunday. And if you are a part of a liturgical church, you'll probably hear these readings preached about this coming Sunday. If you're not part of a liturgical church, well, it's a great way to reflect on Scripture in a very systematic and ordered, systematic, not systematic, systematic and ordered way. (laughs) Um, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about the lectionary, Mark, since I've started preaching from it many, many years ago, coming up to nearly 20 years ago now, using the lectionary regularly, is that I can't skimp, I can't cheat, I can't avoid. Uh, And look, there are some weeks when we've sat here over the past 43 episodes, including this one, where actually more than that, 40, whatever it is, anyway, um, 40 something episodes. And there are times when we've looked at them and we've looked at each other before a show and gone, what do we do with this? (laughs) Um, imagine then preaching from that uh, and having yeah. to really do the work. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to wrestle with it's these so easy without a, It's so easy without a lectionary to um, just go to those go-to passages that um, we feel comfortable with. Um, yeah. And that, that'll be different for every person, of course, but um, a real danger to just preach what you're comfortable with and the lectionary, as you say, just doesn't allow that. Yeah, absolutely. So last week we had our selection of, of uh, readings for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. We had those two readings from Lamentations, Psalm 137, uh, which that just that part of the show alone, I think, uh, if I can be so bold as to say, is worth the price of admission, which is free anyway. <laughs> um, but... Um, <laughs> For me, I want to go back and listen to that another time, uh, just yeah, yeah. what thoughts came out of that because it was incredibly powerful. And then we had the reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the gospel reading was Luke 17 verses 5 to 17. The, the thing that stuck with me, though, wasn't so much um, what we talked about out of the Lamentations and Psalm reading, but came out of the 2 Timothy. And I, I can't remember whether we discussed this, but... Um, uh, in verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, in talking about this Jesus um, or this God, the power of this God and the gospel, Paul says, who called us, saved us and called us with a holy calling and this beautiful phrase, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Yeah. And I love that. Uh, it yeah. really stuck with me because this idea that salvation has anything to do with what I do or don't do. And that goes for not just what I think, but what other people might think of me. 
Mm. Um, mm. But what have you done? Have you done the right thing? You haven't done this yet. Therefore, no, 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 no. It's got nothing to do with those things at all. The gift that God gives us is this awakening to this reconciliation that we've always had with God, this closeness, this intimacy we've always had with God, which is revealed to us out of God's own purposes and out of God's grace. And that just stuck with me, um, yeah. that how dare I not just deny of anybody else what may or may not be their experience of their encounter with this God, and how dare I suggest to them that God isn't close to you because they haven't met some criteria that I think I have put in place or even I think God wants because mm. of the way I've taken the things that I may have read or, or believed. But even more so, and I think this is one's probably even more important than that, although that is important, um, that none of us should think that it's not available to any of us. Uh, yeah. None of us should think that that God's grace isn't um, possible because of what I've done or the guilt I carry or I did this once to this guy or did this to this person and uh, said this, said that, you know, whatever it is that we believe might be keeping us from uh, this salvation, remembering that that word in the Greek talks about being made whole again, um, that being restored to who we are to be, this this restoration into the image of God, this goodness that we were created with originally in the in the beginning stories. Um, so, yeah, th this is not about what I can do or anybody else can do. This is completely on God. Um, mm. And it just is, because the next little bit, uh, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So not only is it given freely, but it's been done in advance. Um, yeah, yeah. And so we that spent a little bit of time on that, didn't we, last year? Last yeah. week. <laughs> mm. but, but yeah, that you know, according to God's own purpose and grace, that's the bit that really stuck and that I've been reflecting mm. on, and what that would mean for me, but also for others. And been th honestly thinking about how I can communicate that better with others to the point where even today i'm just thinking about it now off the top of my head I, it's the first day back of term as we uh record this and um i have literally gone back today and done a chapel and in doing that chapel i spoke to our students about um uh the the words that are in greek uh in that uh, conversation that jesus has with peter at the um, uh, the resurrection breakfast on the beach where Jesus says, you know, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, uh, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And pointing out that those two words for love are um, two different words in the Greek uh, that Jesus says, you know, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, less, Lord, you know, I filio you. Uh, and then the third time, though, Jesus lowers it and says, okay, well, do you filio me? And um, mm. Peter, who's uh, who says, um, the text says, and Peter was um, upset by that. And a lot of people read that possibly as being he was upset with Jesus. But I wondered whether it was he was upset with himself because he couldn't bring himself uh, to agape. Um, yeah, every possibility. Yeah. But, yeah. but all that to say that 
um, you know, saying to my students this to let them know that, you know, God will meet you where you're at. Um, don't think that you've done anything or can do anything that would deny it or push God aside or anything else. And this is really saying the same thing. It's God's own purposes and grace that's given in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It's already been done. You know, Jesus just came to say, look around you. It is here. And if you can see that, you'll begin to experience the wholeness of discovering completely who you are. So there's something incredibly important, not just in understanding this for ourselves, but how we can communicate that uh, to other people. Um, so, yeah, that was very subliminal that I <laughs> talked about that today with my students. <laughs> it came, yeah, it probably great. came out of this and I just didn't put two and two together. But anyway, that's that's what I walked out of um, yeah. from, from that. I'm not sure what you carried through from the last bunch of readings to, to well, into this week. Yeah, I, I, I carried our discussion around Psalm 137 this week, um, uh, giving myself permission to be angry and mm. um, open to that anger passing. Um, I, 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 I really have, I have really have lived with the idea that um, Actually, if we're to get past anger and revenge and hatred and all those things that Jesus guides us away from, we actually really do have to go through those experiences. Mm. Um, and it felt um, it felt much more authentic to kind of give myself permission to do that rather than deny these emotions or deny these experiences. Or deny that these things have, you know, the experiences I go through um, have inspired such hatred, yeah. and not to see that, not to see that as deficient, but actually to see it as um, a path that can lead beyond it. Um, so I think I, you know, the more I've pondered it, the more I think very strongly. Um, this is not a place to stay. Um, but it just may be a place that we need to pass through yeah. as we go through a world where the wrong thing happens. Yeah, and the wrong things happen for what reason? I know that a lot of people like to blame something, <laughs> but, I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, they just yeah. happen and yeah. we yeah. need to roll through. We go through, a, we go through a broken world yeah. that, uh, that doesn't, um, that doesn't love, and we get wounded by that. We we also, of course, contribute to it, but we get wounded by mm. it as well. Yeah, and, uh, and we witness others being wounded by it, which um, which often affects us as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, yeah. Really, really trying to sit with this. Um, I mean, I've always loved Psalm 137 in the sense that it gives us permission to bring our anger to God. Um, but this is probably the first time I've thought of this as um, of anger as a constructive path um, that, that God can guide us through um, rather than something to be avoided. And when it happens, we bring it to God and get rid of it. Um, mm. Actually, maybe we bring it to God and God uses it to make us more complete. 
Yeah, and, and perhaps guides us on how to use it constructively. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I know a lot of people like to point at Jesus with his whip in the yes. temple and flipping the tables yeah. of the money changers. Um, but at the same time, I think that there is uh, an mm. important facet of making sure that that anger is directed and used and channeled in a way that's going to be constructive and not saying that what Jesus did was not constructive and could very well have been the right thing to do on that occasion in that moment. Sure. Sure. Uh, but certainly with us, we don't want to presume that simply going in and flipping tables ourselves <laughs> is the, the right yeah. response. Um, yeah. And that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thing to bring up. Um, Psalm 137, this dashing of the enemy's children's against, children against the rocks. This is this is not the right way. Um, yet this psalm gives permission to bring that emotion and desire to God. Yeah, um, ac actually teaches you know gives people a prayer to bring this desire to God. Um, and I, I find that quite remarkable um, that there is. There, there is a prayer for that occasion, and it's far from saying this is okay yeah. to go and act this, but it is certainly saying God's big enough to handle this. Bring it to God. So I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the idea of, you know, a book <laughs> called Prayers for All Occasions, and there's one yeah. for when you want to dash someone's child against a rock, yes. um, Psalm 137. Yes. But the, yeah, you're yeah. right. That's exactly what it is. Um, we couldn't get away with writing that prayer book, but fortunately um, the Bible <laughs> has it there. <laughs> <laughs> the 17th Sunday after Pentecost has gone, although we'll revisit it again in three years. So, hey, listen back then. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, now we, which by the way, is a really beautiful thing about the lectionary too, is that you come back to these readings three years later, yeah, and you go, where am I at now? What, yeah. what do I see now? Where is the gem now? Anyway, we'll talk about that in three years. Uh, the 18th <laughs> Sunday after Pentecost in this year of C, um, which in through uh, we read the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but uh, you see, 18th Sunday after Pentecost, the readings for this week are Jeremiah chapter 20, 29, verse 1, and then verses 4 to 7, Psalm 66, verses 1 to 12, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, and Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. All of those passages are listed uh, in the show notes if you're listening to us on a podcast or down below here if you are watching us on YouTube. Right. Hmm. Where are we digging in first? I'm kind of tempted to start at the gospel. Let's do it. Let's do we'll it. See where we end up from there. Tell us why you're tempted. <laughs> Probably because it's the easiest. <laughs> Another week of difficult readings, and I got to concur. You're absolutely right. There's a lot to chew on, and really yeah, yeah. ponder this week that we just can't fit into a. Even one hour twenty-seven, which would be a record episode. Yeah, um, that would be long. Yeah. Where are you going, buddy? Uh, look, for me, this is just a simple story of thankfulness. Yeah. And the danger, the terrible danger of um, of presumption that we are owed healing, salvation by god yeah 
And it's the one here who is least likely to think that, who finds himself back in front of Jesus with a, yeah. a, a gracious heart. Um, yeah. In some ways, quite a disturbing little account, actually. Um, ten people miraculously healed and only one can bother coming and saying, I didn't deserve that. Hmm. There's a, there's an interesting couple of um, facts that the writer has made sure that we want to, that we he wants us to be or they want us to be aware of. Um, the first is that um, they they're asking for mercy. These lepers, people with leprosy. Uh, and there's 10 of them, and Jesus simply says to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And it's as they're going off that they're made clean, not right there and then. It's on yeah. their journey. And that's when one of them turns around and goes back. Mm. Now, I, I pondered this and I thought, you know what? They haven't seen the priests yet. They're on their way back, and then they become clean, and one of them goes, oh, wow, uh, I'm going to go back. The other nine, though, continue on their way to see the priests, and I get the impression that maybe they did this because that was their priority, mm. that that they were made clean, that they were healed of their infirmity. Yeah. But, but their priority was not so much showing gratitude to the person through which that seems to have happened and come through, mm. but simply to get to the priests so that they can be um, uh, allowed to go back, remembering that, of course, when someone had leprosy, they had to go and live outside the city uh, for a set number of days, and then they had to go and show themselves to the priests to see that they were made clean. And so yep. for nine of these people, the priority isn't, thanking this person jesus it's about getting home mm. and that's that's really interesting i've always thought of this as they go to the priests and this return is after they've obeyed what jesus has asked them to do but there's nothing in the text that no. kind of insists on that actually um yeah that's that, that's a timing thing that i've i, I think i've assumed yeah, they've and gone to the priests and, and this Samaritan returns after that. That's right. Um, and that, that's what I picked up, yeah. The same thing. I, I would have thought the same as you any other day. Mm. As I sat there and really had a good look, I went, hang on a sec, there's, no, there's nothing to say here that they got to the priests first. Uh, and so suddenly I thought, well, this one Samaritan has gone, sure, I could go and see the priests and then be allowed to go home and, and maybe then go and thank Jesus. But he's decided that no, the most important thing you can do right then there is not go and show the priest so that he can get um, to do, you know, back into the city or whatever. The most important thing here is to go and thank Jesus first and then go and do it. Mm. Um, Gee, that's, um, that's a really interesting thought. And I wonder um, to what degree the Samaritan, if there's merit in what you say, has yeah. a freedom the others don't. Maybe so. Yeah. Do not go to the to the priest. Although Samaritans, of course, uh, were also um, believers who worshipped. 
It's just that they sure. happened, you sure. still had the you know Jewish people in Samaria as well as the ones on the other side of the border. Um, but but that could be the case uh, mm. for sure. Uh, but but even if not, I I don't think that anything here demonstrates that um, uh, you know that he he was going to ignore going to the priest because he was on his way to do that. Uh, by all accounts of the story, all ten of them went off to see the priests. Just that yeah. one went. The most important thing right now is not about me; it's about gratitude for what's happened. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting that this writer again makes the point um, that when he came and thanked Jesus, to say, and he was a Samaritan. Yeah, uh, this is another yes. good Samaritan type story where, of course, the Samaritan is the punchline for the listeners to understand that, uh, you know, this is the people that you don't like from across the border and that's the hero of the story. While this is an event that seems to have happened in the life of Jesus and not a story per se, it would have been very clear perhaps to the people that were around Jesus and saw this happen to see 10 people get sent off, but only one come back to give thanks. Mm. Um, and Jesus even made the, made the statement, we're not 10 made clean. But the other nine, where are they? None of them found, none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. So he's not talking to the Samaritan. He's making a statement for other people to be able to hear this as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. there's some really interesting stuff here. And of course, uh, mm -hmm. you know, get up and be on your way. Your faith has made you well. And of course, that word about wellness is about being made whole. This is uh yeah. not just about the physical healing that seems to have taken place here. This is about a full and complete uh, wholeness that is going to be brought to this person um, through their faith, uh, which is which is prevalent in the fact that they came back to give thanks to Jesus. They recognise yeah. where this has come from uh, and have done that. So mm. it's a really interesting one. Um, it's another yeah. one of those many stories in the Gospels about um, faith being found in seemingly the wrong places, not the wrong places, but seemingly mm. the wrong places, or the surprising places, at least from the religious point of view. Um, and I, 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 I love this. I, th I think Jesus is constantly uh, recognising faith in, you know, the outcast, the tax collector, the fisherman, um, and here in the Samaritan as well, um, mm. in, in the foreigner. Um, that, that use of the word foreigner is really interesting. It really does contextualise this and insist that it's happening in Israel. Well, it says a region between Samaria and Galilee. So it's obviously on the yeah. Israel side no. of the border. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Samaria is obviously close enough that this guy can be there. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, really yeah. deep. That yeah, and again, a real place for real place for gratitude here. I, uh, I think, um, and acknowledgement um, of who Jesus is and yeah. where this person's faith is. I think that's the other point there. Um, his faith isn't in the process of going to the priests. His faith is actually in Jesus. And so there's a recognition that Jesus has done this rather than the yeah, religious and, process. Yes. Yeah, at yes. least in him. 
maybe maybe it was maybe maybe the other nine think it's think to place their faith in the process here in the the religious obedience yeah although let's i mean you know jesus jesus was the one who said go show yourself to the priest but you're right there is still yeah. a process that needs to take place but let's give credit where credit is due yes um and this which, samaritan at least has the freedom to recognize that jesus did this which and accuracy raises some interesting questions about other parallels that we could place with this that we live in a world where there are things that happen and things that that we receive that are nice we get jobs we get incomes and all sorts of stuff but let's make sure that credit goes where credit is due yeah um there is process and yes we understand how things work but gratitude ultimately belongs um to to god as is shown here yeah um, yeah which is pretty important mm. right do we stay in the newer testament and go to timothy now sure if you like i i found this timothy reading very very interesting there's this wonderful section uh in second timothy 2 verses 8 to 15 that starts around verse 11 and goes through pretty much to the end, but definitely to the end of verse 13, um, where he, Paul writes, this saying is sure. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And if we're faithless, he remains both. But it, or if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And I, I poured over these three verses. Um, and... Let me just tell you what I came to, and you can love it or hate it and could make for interesting discussion either way. Um, <laughs> but kicks off by saying, this: the saying is sure. If we've died with him, we also live with him. Uh, in other words, uh, when we find ourselves surrendering to this kingdom, we'll find ourselves living in this kingdom. Um, this, is, this is where... Uh, you know what what jesus whole ministry was about was awakening ourselves to the fact that we are living in this kingdom which is around us and within us and so on and once we have uh died in the sense that um we've given up trying to hold on to whatever it is that we're holding on to that's obviously not working and we start to enter into this reality then we can live into this reality as well then in verse 12, if we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Now, this was a really interesting line. Um, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. Um, but the, the, the second bit here was the bit that really got me. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. And I poured over that. I thought, this is not the God or the Christ or even the Jesus, if you want to look at it that way that we have been talking about so often, particularly in this program, and certainly not the one that I have come to understand and believe in over the last at least 15 years of my now coming close to 30 years in ministry, that a good half of that I've had to deconstruct from this 
well, to put it in the same sort of term, deconstruct from this destructive understanding of God, which wasn't healthy, and to start to piece together what it is that I think, um, you know, has been revealed to us through the text of Scripture about who this God truly is. This is not a God who would deny us at all, and this is where the next verse must be taken into consideration with us. Mm. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So I think what Paul is saying here is that once once we become a parent and enter into this kingdom, we will be able to endure. We will reign in life. This will be in a position where it'll be like water. Well, I mean, it's still going to be hard times, but water off a duck back. Um, when we start to understand that, what X person thinks of me ultimately is irrelevant and doesn't matter um, because it really doesn't in the bigger scheme of things. When we start to understand that that person who I see living on the street is an extension of me because we are one in who this God is, um, then I find myself in a position where I can share what I have with them. That's also a part of reigning uh, in, in life together. And it, I think what Paul is saying here is very true. Yeah, if we were to deny this this Christ, this God, then this Christ or God has the right to deny us. But if we find ourselves in that position where they're faithless, because this God cannot deny themselves, then they will remain mm -hmm. faithful. Mm -hmm. So these two things need to go together. This is an act of grace once again. Uh, and, you know, this is following on from last week, of course, but this is an act of grace, not of um, my faith and my work. This is, even when I'm faithless, this God remains faithful mm. um, and will not deny their true character. So, yes, I might deny with my life that I'm living in this kingdom and living within the context of this goodness and image of God in which I've been created, but through all that, God will remain faithful because this God can't deny themselves mm. and will hold on to me as opposed to me needing to hold on to them. And what I love is if you look back a little bit at the very beginning in verse 8, there's this beautiful, simple statement, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel. Um, and I think that's Very also nice. an important thing to hold on to in the context of this this um, little saying thing, this three-part statement that um, remember Jesus Christ. And, and I'm reminded that, you know, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Hang on. Remember Jesus Christ. That doesn't sound like who this Jesus is. Yeah. That's, keep going. Yes, if we're faithless. This Christ yeah. remains faithful because this Christ can't deny who they are, who they yeah. truly are. So yeah. this is a very, very beautiful thing, which is interesting because straight after that, <laughs> Paul then goes on to say, <laughs> um, you know what? Stop wrangling over words, um, <laughs> which doesn't do good, but Romans does. Listen, just do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by God. I find that really interesting. Don't, don't present yourself to others. As yes. one approved by God. Yes. Present yourself to God as one approved by God. Not present yourself to God 
asking yeah. forgiveness so that you'll be approved by God, but present yourself to God because you already approved by God. So and come before God as approved by God. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Yeah. And I, I just love that whole idea, as difficult it is to get our head around. Um, yeah. I think Paul is, you know, running towards this edge where people, you know, particularly those who are very religious and still in and out and so on, will be saying, yeah, Paul, yeah, Paul, go, wait, Paul, don't go there. No, wait, wait, that's too far. Um, uh, Paul goes to the edge and then pushes us over and says, yeah, but it's not going to happen like that because this God is just so much bigger and so yeah. much more full of grace. Yeah, that's I, I like what you. I like what you're saying there. It's it's difficult. So often our wrangling over words really is defending of space. It's defending of ground. Um, you know, we're going to get we're going to get caught in an argument, and I, I'm on this side, you're on that side. I'm going to defend this ground. Mm. There's a real humility not to get um, caught up in words. I think. Um, and, and as a result, I, I kind of, I really, I, I was quite caught by that phrase, actually. You know, the temptation for us, especially as we're younger in the faith, um, to get caught up in things other than loving other people, other than being faithful, um, to get caught up in being right. Um, and, and as soon as that's our goal, you know, we do end up defining others as wrong. Um, I, I think it's really, it's really important, especially as you know, preachers, pastors, chaplains, um, anyone taking up a role where we're communicating this gospel. Um, but actually, it's it's not essentially about little words. It, it's not essentially about getting into the arguments and winning them. No. It's essentially about loving one another um, and being faithful to this grace that's beyond our capacity to even imagine um, and learning to be faithful to that. Um, it seems to me that's, that's so central to Jesus' teaching that we really have to find ourselves in that space rather than the space of defending you know, defending what I believe about God. Yeah. But but actually coming into that space quite humbly with the expectation that I can't get my head around God anyway. Um, that's not to say Jesus hasn't taught us something, that there's no content there. But for us to become so certain of that, that really we're just looking for those those we can argue with. Well, those, you know, and, and almost feeling that as our responsibility. Our responsibility is to prove others wrong. Um, it's, it's a sad place for us to end up. Um, you know, I, I increasingly want to embrace the idea that it's better to be kind than right. Um, yeah. I, I think there's real merit in that. And there's, there's something, there's something that we've, that we've lost when love isn't the priority. Um, and I, I wonder if 
if this kind of wrangling over words, because Paul's a master of words. He cares very deeply about accurately describing the gospel. Yet it, that doesn't take over his call to humility, his call to service. Yes. Um, which he, uh, you know, um, his call to be faithful to this gospel and to respond to the people he comes across um, in love and grace and, uh, you know, it just doesn't eliminate that. Um, he's not satisfied with being right and walking away. He wants the relationship. Yeah, I think that's a really important point too that, you know, this is not Paul saying don't have conversations, don't discuss things, don't chew on this stuff. No, no, um, no yeah. Paul is, as you say, not just a master of trying to describe things as he understands them and sees them himself, but he's also one that encourages that sort of discourse, um, mm. which is pretty much what he says at the very end here, rightly explaining the word of truth. I mean, there is something yeah. about speaking about these things and talking through these things. I, yeah. I hear what you're saying and what Paul's saying here, and I understand that to mean, and correct me if I've got you wrong, that it, this is about not so much, um, it, it's about not taking those things as being the be-all, end-all. It's about the practice uh, of these yeah. things being the ultimate goal, not about being right. Um, yes. In fact, on Twitter today, there was an interesting thought where somebody said, I can't remember which part of the Gospels he quoted, but basically said, you know, I look at this and I can't help but see through this and other teachings of Jesus that Jesus was far more interested in um, uh, orthopraxy than orthodoxy. In other words, right yeah. practice before right belief. And that's something I've said uh, many a long time. I completely agree that um, I don't think Jesus was really too concerned with what people believed as much as what people did to the point where Jesus even said to his disciples, see those people across the river there that you're telling me are casting out demons and so on. And you're saying they're not doing it in the same way we are. Well, leave them alone because mm -hmm. what they're doing, and this is me, I'm just putting some words on this, but leave them alone because what they're doing is far more important than what they might be saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, reaching out and caring. So I, I hear you there, and I, I really do think that this is a great example of Paul calling that out, um, particularly yeah. to a, again to a young mentor who's looking at Paul hmm. and going, how do I become more like this person? Do I become more eloquent? Do I become better at debating? Do I study apologetics? Yeah. Paul's basically saying, no, um, you go out and you do it. You go out and you be it. Um, yes. And that becomes uh, your your word. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the word of God is not the Bible. Because yeah. when these people were speaking about the word of God in this text, there was no Bible to speak of. There was a scattered bunch of letters. There was, when Paul was writing this, not even the Gospels written down. Yeah. But there were these verbal stories. And what came out of those verbal stories was how should we now live? Yes. I think that is where we find the value of the text that mm. we do have is not so much, see, I've got it here in black and white, because nobody that we're looking at here could have said that. No, um, absolutely not. You know. Yeah. There's something, um, 
there's something really timely about this little discussion for me. Um, here in Australia, the churches are ripping themselves apart over um, over the nature of marriage. Mm. Um, and, you know, really going very, very close at the very least to hating one, um, one another and, and very clearly defending um, ground, um, theological ground against one another. And, you know, the idea that the world is looking in on these debates, I, I, it, that doesn't seem to take the precedence it should for mm -hmm. me. We should be deeply broken that the world sees us behaving this way. Um, yes. Sees us embodying these priorities um, of being right. And if you won't come over to my side and see things my way, then I'm cutting off the relationship. Um, and I'm going to lead everyone who will follow me in that direction as well. Um, very deeply, deeply disturbing that we have so failed to centralise the call to love one another. Where is the action of love in, in those statements and those actions? By people on both sides of the conversation. Let's not kid yeah. ourselves that it's just one side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, I got on Twitter a couple of times today and I found myself just getting angry because everyone's just talking. I mean, I'll say talking theology, but I mean, you know, yeah, making yeah. statements that most people would look at and go, what the heck are you saying here? And yeah, yeah. why does that even matter? Uh, if... If the ultimate goal is a call to love one another as Christ has loved us, then who cares whether, you know, the rapture is going to happen after this, that, or the other, if the rapture is even going to happen at all. Let's focus on loving one another. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's spend our energies on that, um, yeah. not on being right. Uh, and, I mean, and coming back to the topic at hand, you know, that's one of those topics that, People are never going to see eye to eye, but at the end of the day, as we said a couple of weeks ago when we looked at that passage in Philemon, how do we love each other even though we have differing opinions? And ultimately, and probably more importantly, how do we love those who are deeply affected by the conversation that it's even happening like that? Yeah. How yeah. do we love those people? Um, you know, and, and it, it's a shame that... Uh, you know they have to experience watching that happen, mm. and we and we wonder why people don't want to be, uh, you know, I uh, uh, want to keep Jesus at an arm's length when those that should be exhibiting what Jesus is about talks talks about Jesus and what Jesus' call was about in the way that we do, um, which it's disturbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is disturbing. I'm not saying it's an easy, it's an easy fix, but gee, and I, I, I do think this is, this is where look, I, if, if my terminology is wrong, I'm sorry, but the perennial tradition is very, very important to me. Mm. Uh, the, this tradition that says you can't just love everyone, 
you you have to get you you have to love someone today. You can't just love the whole world. You can't express that or live it out. You can't even love an entire community. You've got to you've got to get out there and serve one another. And and, and that won't be you know this. Um, it won't be like serving, I, I, you know, I'm going to serve all of Canberra or I'm going to serve all of the Gold Coast. It won't be like that. That community exists, yes, but the diversity there is extraordinary. The needs there are extraordinary. In some ways, these, you know, if we don't adopt this perennial tradition that I need to respond in love to an individual today, um, we end up we end up in these arguments thinking that's the real thing yeah we end up we end up talking words because you know we're trying to fix everyone so we're gonna we're gonna throw in our 10 cents worth in the argument and defend our ground rather than just do what is in front of us yep um and i i see Paul doing this here. I mean, it, um, he talks about the gospel for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained as a criminal. Um, you know, he's 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 responding to what's in front of him here, rather than um, you know, um, not getting involved. He's involved, he's so involved in spreading the gospel that he gets in trouble and finds himself in prison. Um, rather than, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand back and I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna write you a letter. You guys go and do it. Um, there's something about Paul that's involved in the world. And I, I think that's pretty precious mm. and we should be very suspicious of those who are content to know the gospel but not be involved um, mm. not serve not take the risk of um, getting our hands dirty in the mess of the world and yeah. I, I think I think Paul is you know Paul's chains just speak volumes about how prepared he is to be involved in the life of this world and the life of the people around him. Yeah. Which, moving to the Jeremiah reading. Yes, absolutely. This will take it, us well into the Jeremiah. Because they're, connect, they're connected. Um, mm. Not mm. that we, again, not that we plan this stuff. This is going by the seat of our pants, basically. But you can see very clearly how this is the case. Um, you know, this part of Jeremiah where Jeremiah's uh, putting down these words to those who are in exile in Babylon and makes this astonishing statement about settle there. Yes. Yes. Don't just settle Everything there. Everything they don't want to do. Build houses there. Yeah. Plant gardens. Eat what you produce. This is long-term stuff. Yes. Um, yes. Have, you know, so you make your families there. Um, mm. multiply, 
your population there. And while you're at it, in verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to God on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And this is a really astonishing statement here. Um, What I love about this is that, you know, in Christian circles, there are some who like to make a lot of noise about being persecuted. Um, And I'm not going to say that you're not being persecuted or that you are being persecuted. I'll say if you live in the West, it's highly unlikely Um, in another country, perhaps, but certainly not in the Western world. I don't think anyone's really being persecuted. But even if you are, and I am wrong, and I forgive me if I am, God makes a statement here through Jeremiah that where I have you, I want you to root down because how you live is going to create something that's going to be positive for everybody. Mm. This there's a there's a bit of Jonah in this who sent off to Nineveh and Nineveh comes to know God and Jonah throws a hissy fit. This is kind of the opposite. Um, For whatever reason, the Israelite people find themselves in exile, and we don't have to go into that necessarily, but for whatever reason, they're there. Mm. And God says, now I want you to put down roots and live well, because when you live well, everybody, even the people who have got you captive, the welfare of the city where you are in exile right now is going to find value, which is also going to increase your own welfare. Maybe it's, and you know, we can speculate, maybe it's because they will find favor, which we do know that some of them did um, through some of the other writings, particularly around Daniel and so on. Uh, There are some people who found favor. Uh, And so whatever that happens to be and whatever that looks like, though, there's something to be said about keeping the the welfare of your so-called persecutors um, and, and being there for them. Uh, mm. Which is which, which you know, why it resonated what we we're talking about before was because this is about oh we're in exile. What do we do? Do we rebel? Do we fight back? No, we love. Yeah, we yeah. continue to love. We continue yeah. to allow this love of God to flow through us. The promise to Abraham that you will mm. be blessed so that you can be a blessing, and that all the nations of the earth, including these people who've taken you into captivity will be blessed through you. This is literally a call to live out that promise. You've got an opportunity to make a difference here, even though you're in exile. And I think there's something incredibly powerful Mm. about what one would find if they reflect on that in their own situation. There's a really interesting movement in this passage around our discussion around the perennial tradition before, in that um, we don't start with a statement of, look after the welfare of the city. We actually start with the statement of build houses, build build Mm. a home. We start with the statement of um, plant a garden and live off what it produces. We start with the statement, take wives, have sons, have daughters. Um, 
and then take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage um, that they may bear sons and daughters. So we're talking the generations. generations. Um, this is just living well. And, and it multiplies into the welfare of the city. Mm. Um, so every time they stick something in the ground, they're asked to see that as an act of bringing God's blessing upon this city. Every time they, um, uh, they build their own shelter for themselves, they're asked to see this as an act of contributing to the welfare of the city. Um, but you can't do that without doing these little things. Yeah. You can't do that by just, you know, I'm just going to walk into the King's Palace and I'm going to argue for a better, uh, you know, a, a, a better deal for us. That's not what's happening here. This is not an argument of words. This is an argument of little acts of grace, staggering grace, really, considering they're contributing, they're asked to see the little things they do in life as contributing to the welfare of their enemies. Um, and and I, I think you can read a passage like this and say, there's nothing I can do that doesn't contribute. Um, all of these little things, you can see your life is deeply, deeply um, significant um, even though this is not changing the world in one felt swoop, it's just all these tiny, tiny acts adding up to actually, you know, the welfare of the city. Um, well, this time, is why every time they plant a pear tree. This is why know. your statement so before was so important. You know, we walk in and we go, oh, I'm just going to be here and I'm going to bring this to the community where, you know, the whole place. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to start a, I'm going to start a movement. Um, <laughs> actually, movements start with little acts. Yeah, movements that's start what, with planting a tree, building a house and here. having kids. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. And quite frankly, it all sounds like a whole lot of fun. Um, that doesn't have to be hard, strenuous, I've got to change the minds of all of these people. No, I've just got to contribute. I, I wonder what the church would look like if we could find the kind of humility to do the little things. And, and constructively contribute, thousand, yes. Yes, there are a thousand people in God's community that do this, of course, and, and many more. Hmm. Um, but so often we get caught on programs and th <laughs> this is where this is where the program church kind of works so many nowadays mm. um you know why why are we trying to why are we you know we're going to put together a program that reaches thousands well actually that has to boil down if a program is to work it has to boil down to i'm going to serve this person in front of me Mm. And that is probably, well, that is the place this passage starts. In pursuing the welfare of the city, this passage starts by doing the little things, yeah. the little acts of love and generosity and contribution. Yeah. It's a humility we find difficult to 
embraced, I think, at times, especially if you have a program mentality. Um, if, I'm, if I've got to serve the multitudes, if I've got to serve the whole city, we find it very hard to allow that to break down to the planting of a tree, the building of a wall, um, the, um, the nurturing of a family. Yeah, which is where this psalm is so important, that it's it's almost like the psalm here in relating back to the this reading, uh, incredibly powerful in that it lists a whole bunch of stuff that the people of Israel were going through. And yet in each case, it's almost like they were sinking, but God sticks this platform underneath them so they don't sink. There's always a way out that comes through. Um, there's always um, some way that, you know, we, there's a burden on our backs that, you know, we're in a net, uh, people riding over our heads. We went through fire, we went through water, yet you, God, have brought us out to a spacious place mm. um, that, you know, we're going to go across the sea, but then all of a sudden we're passing on dry land. Uh, so there's all this, there's always this, this intervening at the last moment which makes everything okay. And it's kind of like what's interesting is that the, the psalmist has described these things in these big, large, miraculous events. And yet the reality is, is that while I'm not necessarily denying that that wasn't the experience of Israel, at least in their own understanding and at most legitimately, that it's highly likely that most of these things didn't happen in the big way they get told. Uh, this is the interesting thing about the way stories yes. come. Uh, you know, we've got to be very careful of thinking that just because the Bible states an event, then that's exactly how it happened. I, I don't think that's true of any ancient writing. Of mm. course, if Israel's writing about its experience, it's going to blow some things up because that's the nature of stories like this. And remembering when they were written down, which probably was in Babylon, or when they were collected, um, that this is a long time of passing these things on in these uh, you know, verbal ways, these oral tradition. And so um, what's highly likely is that while, yes, God did save, God did provide a platform, God did bring them out of a to a spacious place, it happened through things like, Making a shelter, planting yeah. a tree, picking yeah. the fruit, having yeah. kids, and being a, a contributor, yeah, um, to the locality in which you lived, and out mm. of that, the blessing came to you. The blessing came to the community as a result because welfare was found in, and there's this mutual welfareing that's mm. going on. And I think that's really worth pondering about in this passage. The welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile, pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Um, yeah. If if you can be praying for Babylon, not praying that you smash their kids against the rocks, but mm. praying that you uh, that they will find blessing, then in that benefit there will be benefit for you as well. It's this mutual welfaring that's mm. going on, uh, which the psalmist is really calling out. And while that's, he, the psalmist talks about the big stuff, I sense that it's 
their description of the experience of what God has done to them in the small stuff. Mm. Uh, I could be wrong with that, but that's just the impression that I feel mm. and that we should never think that the small stuff is insignificant. And maybe that's the message here is that here's these small things that can happen to these people who are in Babylon. And yet the description that comes from this Psalm is of this big stuff. Maybe that's what we're meant to do. Maybe we're meant to blow yeah. and understand the small stuff as being the big stuff. That yeah. is the whole point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which takes us straight to um, the mustard seed parable, really, doesn't it? Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus clearly believed in doing the little things. In fact, Jesus goes around touching individual lives. Doing little things himself, yeah. yeah. Doing little things himself, yeah. And it adds up to, you know, chaos for the religious world in Jerusalem at the time. Um, all those little things become a, a, a perceived as a profound threat, um, so much so that they choose murder mm. over embracing the way that Jesus has shown. I've got Paul Kelly ringing through my head now from little things. Yeah, yeah. Big things grow. Big things grow. Uh, and if you want to bring it full circle before we wrap it up, just think about that gospel story we began with. Ten people with leprosy. Yeah. And Jesus just says, go show yourself to the priest. Yeah. It's just a small thing. There's no big prayer over them there's no yeah. fanfare there's no look at what i did nothing just go show yourself to the priests that's it uh, i wonder if there's a wonder as you were saying that i was wondering if um if the samaritan returning and giving thanks does a little thing mm, in itself uh, you know does a little thing and i wonder i i love the thought maybe i'm Maybe I'm working too hard on this passage, but I, I love the thought that that contribution is to Jesus Himself. Um, that Maybe is so. not that. That while Jesus certainly um, turns this around and and speaks to the crowds, seemingly um, about what's happened, I, I wonder if there's if this Samaritan is in the smallest of small ways actually blessing jesus yeah the 18th sunday after pentecost mm -hmm. we've gone full circle <laughs> we've done all right jeremiah fun. chapter 29 verses 1 and then 4 verse uh, 4 through 7 psalm 66 mm. verses 1 to 12 uh second timothy 2 verses 8 to 15 and luke chapter 17 verses 11 to 19 don't forget Share with us, what did you see? What did you hear? How did you understand it? How did you preach it? What have you had come to your mind? Are we right? Love Are we wrong? Yeah. Send Mark notes at his blog at barefootfollower.life. Send me notes at direct messages or in comments at Instagram at, at monkindocs. Send us emails at between two Sundays. That's the number two at between two Sundays at gmail.com. Or if you go to uh, uh, link tr.ee forward slash between two Sundays, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff there in our link tree and you can click on those and go and see it and tell us we're right, tell us we're wrong, tell us you love us, tell us you hate us, but discourse because that's how we all 
learn in this beautiful thing. Not wrangling words, but having good discussion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where it's at. Very good. That's, that's good for tonight, my friend. Thank you so well, much. Done well. Uh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but we shall see. Thanks for joining us for another Between yeah. Two Sundays. Until next week, God bless you. Be at peace and um, grace be with you. Bye for now. See ya. <laughs>